morning, everybody. Grab your handouts, your phones that you're going to follow along in the outline, your Bibles, all the stuff that you need for the message. And while you're getting all that ready, a couple things I want to tell you before I jump into the message this morning. Uh, there are, there's a team this week going to uh, Honduras and Nicaragua. Uh, I'm actually going to leave tomorrow. I'll be in Honduras and Tegucigalpa for a couple of days uh, doing some training and some ministry there with Pastor Alfredo and the church there in Tegucigalpa. And then uh, on Thursday, a team will, and I will meet in Managua, Nicaragua, for a four-night in four different locations. We'll have a, a, a basically an evangelistic crusade. We'll also be doing some training, some pastors and leaders there. And this has become a, a huge event. They're telling us that in each location, there will be between five and 7,000 people gathering. Now, there's a, there's a lot of miracles already happening because pastors and churches are uniting together in these towns, which is very rare, unfortunately, in that part of the world. And they're excited about what God's going to do. Pastor Carlos Sanchez will be there with us from Chicago. Many of you know who he is. And we'll have that time together. So please be praying for that time. Uh, we're expecting, praying for hundreds, maybe thousands of people to step from death into life, to go from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we're really excited about that. We need, we need all the prayer we can get. They've been praying and, and fasting there, so uh, be praying with us during that time. We'll come back with a report of what God has done during that time. Also, I want to let you know that starting uh, this week, you'll begin to get some information, some communication in your email box, your, your mailbox at home about uh, a new giving campaign we're going to begin starting April 9th. You know, we expand the kingdom in a lot of different places. We're expanding the kingdom in India and in Central America and through our mission partners here locally. It's time to expand the kingdom here, here at Christ Church and in this community. So it's time to, we want to completely eliminate what debt we have left over here in this, in this ministry. Uh, we had some, a little bit of debt from moving into the building with furniture and fixtures and so land and buildings all paid for. But we want to completely eliminate all of our debt, and we also want to invest in some ways so that we have better quality video putting on uh, our service each week on our website, uh, some, some enhancements to the building, no major building projects, but some enhancements to the building and some of those kinds of things. You'll be getting more information about that, but I want to let you know so that you can be expecting that. And I want you to be praying, just like we do with our greatest gift offering, I want you to be praying about how God would have you get involved. Maybe it's a dollar a week for you. Maybe that's what God would have you to give. Maybe it's $10,000 a week, which would be pretty cool. But uh, whatever, it is, whatever it is, somewhere in between there, probably for most of us, uh, we'll just pray that God will lead us to give whatever he wants us to give as part of that campaign. So with that said, let's jump into the message this morning. We've been in a message called What Christ People Do. We've talked about worship We've talked about connecting to the heart of God and to the hearts of one another. And the last, last week we began talking about growing, growing to spiritual maturity. And I felt really compelled from God as I prayed about this time this, that we have together this morning. I, I felt clearly that God was saying, talk about pain and the way I grow you up through the reality of pain. And we don't always want to think about pain or talk about it, but it's an important topic for us to talk about because we need to know what God has to say about it because we are all going to go through it at one point in time, right? <clears throat> so the title of the message this morning is Grow, Finding Purpose in Our Pain. 
uh, wanted to let you know about a book that I read years ago that was, it's really a, been a, a helpful book to me uh, throughout the years. I want to let you know about it in case you're a reader and you want to read the gift, Pain, or the book, Pain, the Gift Nobody Wants. I think we'd all agree with the title, right? Uh, it's by Dr. Paul Brand, who discovered the cause of leprosy, and uh, also by Philip Yancey. So you may want to pick that up. It's been out a while. Hopefully you can still find it. Let's start at the beginning of the story because God is writing a story. We're going to talk about that this morning. At the beginning of the story, at the beginning of time, God began this whole story, began creation because he wants a family. Now, he had perfect oneness, perfect relationship, perfect unity within the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when he wanted to to create us, basically what he's doing is extending his family. He wants that same oneness, that same peace, that same love and grace and other, otherness to be extended into us. So he wants, that's the reason he created us as sons and daughters. And he said everything was good. As he created it, every time he created something else and added something to the mix, he said, and it was good. And that's Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And then we get to Genesis chapter 3. And then the story changes, right? In fact, I had a guy say to me one time, uh, he's a theologian, he said, you know, originally, originally the Bible was only supposed to be two chapters. Chapter one, chapter two, end of story. And they all lived happily ever after, right? And then we get, to, but we have, we have Genesis 3, so we have to talk about it. And because we have Genesis 3, we have the rest of the Bible. It explains, it speaks into what happens in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, there were several firsts recorded in history. We have the first time a lie is spoken on the planet, recorded in Genesis 3. The first time fear is experienced. The first time shame is experienced on the planet. The first time separation in relationship. The first time hiding is experienced. We've all done our fair share of hiding, haven't we? Have you ever played the game hide and seek? You know, kids play that game, but as adults, we just play it in a little more sophisticated way, don't we? Hide and seek, first time in Genesis 3. The first time blaming is done. You know, Adam said, even said to God, God, if it wasn't for that woman you gave me, I'm just quoting Adam. I've never, never done that, never thought that. <laughs> Nervous laughter. Um, <clears throat> First time for the, the first time there were consequences for sin. Um, first time there's ever been pain experienced on the planet is recorded in Genesis three. There was the pain of broken relationship, the pain of the consequence of sin, the pain of separation, the pain of blame and shame. And we've all experienced all of those things in our lives, haven't we? That's why the first prophecy about Jesus is so important, found in Genesis 3.15. God is speaking to the serpent, Satan, here, and he's saying in in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity or strife between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, in other words, her offspring. This is really a cloaked prophecy about Jesus. It says, he, Jesus, will bruise you on the head. In other words, he's going to crush your head. The Bible tells us more many times over 
The purpose for one of the prim, primary purposes for Jesus coming to earth is destroy the work of the enemy of God and also our enemy. He goes on to say, you shall bruise him on the heel. That's why Jesus needed to come to earth. He needed to come and rescue us because he's the only one who can. He's the only one who has the ability. I love the fact that when Jesus begins his public ministry here on earth, he begins that ministry at a wedding. No doubt is a wedding of a family member. There are lots of people, and weddings in the first century were week-long at least. Huge party. And when Jesus shows up, they've got a crisis on their hands. <laughs> they ran out of wine. That's a crisis at a first century wedding. Might be a crisis in a 21st century wedding too, but it was certainly a crisis then. They ran out of wine. And Jesus' mom looked at him, Mary looked at Jesus and said, Hey, they need your help. And he, he resisted a bit, but he was still willing to do what his mom asked him to do. And I love it because it's a type and shadow of what God is going to do in the end of his story that he's writing. Because if you go to Revelation 19, 20, 21, you'll see another wedding there was a wedding at the beginning of the earthly ministry of Jesus, and there's a wedding at the end. We all get to be together, the bridegroom and his bride. That's us. We all get united. I don't know if there's going to be wine there, but if it is, it'll be the best ever seen, and, and it's going to be an amazing party. I love that because the party that's going to be celebrated is the perfect union and oneness between God and his bride. And to get there, we need to know, we need to know and we need to remember that God is writing the story. God's writing our story. Now we've been talking about growing to maturity and I believe that we all want that. I believe everybody, everybody wants to grow to maturity, don't we? But as we've seen in Genesis 3, there have been barriers and an enemy that comes to kill and steal and destroy. That process, trying to change the storyline. You know, for most of us, when we experience pain and problems, our tendency is to get focused on the pain and the problems. Instead of changing our focus, changing our perspective, changing our mind, changing our eyes and looking toward the one who can solve the problems. We get problem focused instead of kingdom focused. We need to be kingdom focused instead of problem focused because God is writing a bigger story. He is the overcomer. God, Jesus is the overcomer. He is the ultimate comeback story and because of who he is, when we are his, every single one of us also can have a comeback story. We too can overcome. We too can be victorious through him. Now, I don't know where you are in your life, what's going on in the story that's being written in your heart and in your mind and in your life. But I do know this. I am absolutely convinced of this. That God is, the, is writing the story, and today he wants you here to hear this, to hear that he is ready to turn the page in your story. And he is going to write a new chapter. He's got pen in hand and ink ready to write a new story and a new chapter because he's the author of the story. 
and he wants to bring you out of the pain and out of the problems and out of the pandemonium that you're in so that you can experience him writing a new chapter in the story of your life. Are you ready for that? You know, we're all in this together. We all face storms at various points in our lives, don't we? We've, it's been said, you know, we're all either coming out of a storm, we're in a storm now, or we're getting ready for a storm. Aren't you glad you came to church to hear that? It's true, though, isn't it? Now, I don't know the details of your story. I don't know what's going on specifically in many of your lives. Some of you I do. Some of you I know, and I know this. I know enough of your stories, and I read the prayer requests every week. In fact, that's one of the reasons I want to encourage you again to fill out a card, pull out a card in the seat back in front of you and fill out a prayer request so we can be praying for one another and drop them in the offering boxes at the end because I take those cards, I ask for every one of those cards to be brought to me and I leave them on my desk all week long and I pray for those needs all week long. I'm not the only one. Many people pray for those prayer requests. And so I encourage you every week, to turn in those prayer requests so we can know how to pray for one another because we're all in this together. Some of us are asking the question, will I have a comeback story to tell in the midst of what I'm going through? Will I survive this? Am I going to have a testimony to be able to share about this? You know, somebody said one time, there's no testimony without a test so we have to go through the test and experience what God's going only God can do some of us are asking in the midst of that though if we're just going to have to live with that mess all of our lives and then we ask things like can God can God through the power of Jesus truly breathe life into my marriage or into my job situation or into my finances or into my business or into into my soul again well, I want to look at that from a, a different perspective this morning. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, or whatever you're reading Scripture on, turn to Luke chapter 23. And while you're turning to Luke 23, let me set up the story for you, because this records arguably the most significant event ever to happen on the history, in the history of the world. It's a pretty big statement, isn't it? This is, a time, this is the time when Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus has been already arrested, he's been persecuted, he's been flogged and beaten, and so, and now he's going to the cross. But it not, it's not just him. Now, the story is all about him, but he's not the only one going to the cross. And I love that about this story, because although this story is all about Jesus and what Jesus and only Jesus can do for us, God, as he tells this story, instead of narrowing the camera only on Jesus, he widens the angle on the lens so that we can see ourselves in the story. Because there's two other guys headed to the cross that day that are also convicted and they're going to be executed because they're criminals. We're in this story, you and I. The Bible tells us we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all criminals, aren't we, in one way or another? So with that, let's pick up the story. Luke chapter 23, 32. Two others also who were crim criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. 
when they came to the place called the skull, there they were crucified. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Now you could say, hey, this story is all about Jesus. Who cares about the other criminals? Or you could, you could argue that point. I mean, let's face it. The story isn't about the criminals primarily. It is primarily about Jesus and what only he can do on the cross. But, but we're in the story. You and I, we're in the picture. We've all been given a death sentence of sorts. I was just found out not too long ago a good friend of ours, from a medical standpoint, has been given a diagnosis that is a death sentence. There is no treatment possible for her unless God intervenes. According to doctors, she has about 6 to 18 months left to live. But in essence, we all have that death sentence on our lives unless God intervenes, right? That's the reality for us. And and our pain, your pain, may have come out of nowhere. Your pain may be self-inflicted in some way. But no matter where or what kind it is, you need to know that we are all in this together and that we are in the story of God. He has not forgotten us, nor is he running from your situation. That's another lie that sometimes we believe, that when we're in trouble and when we're going through pain, that God is running away. But God doesn't run away. He runs to the pain. God runs toward the problem. In fact, I think that's why instinctively we hear stories often about how people, someone instinctively ran into a house and dragged someone out of it. Or someone ran to a burning car and dragged someone out of it. Have you noticed the common denominator? Every time somebody's asked that question, they say, why did you, when they're asked the question, why did you do that? Here's what they say. Almost every time they say, hey, I'm not a hero. I just did what any human being would do if they were in the same situation. Why? Why? Because we're all created in the image of God. That's why. And that's what God does. God runs to the problem. He runs to the fire. He runs to the pain. He runs to the issue. He has not run the other way. That, and if you believe it, it's a lie. He is the God who sees. And he sees you. And he saw all of this unfold in your life and in mine before it even happened. He even saw you coming here today. Knowing that if you were here, you'd have an opportunity to hear from him what he wants to speak into your heart and into your life. Let's go back to the story, the scene where Jesus is on the cross, Luke 23, 34. Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Now, I don't know if you noticed this. I would not noticed this until I studied this passage again this week. But what they're doing here, the actual, the, the religious leaders of the day are actually quoting Satan. Do you remember what Satan says at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry when Jesus goes to the wilderness to be tempted by the, by the devil for 40 days. The, Jesus has just been baptized. 
God has spoken into his life. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. He goes to the Judean wilderness and Satan comes to him and says, if you're the Christ, turn these stones into bread. If you're the Christ, he takes him to the top of the pinnacle of the temple. Throw yourself off and the angels will catch you. And now you have religious leaders quoting the same thing. If you're the Christ, save yourself. The Roman guards do the same thing. The, the soldiers mocked him, verse 36, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription above him, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, he's joined the chorus. Now, it's hard for me to believe that this is happening because here's a guy who's condemned to death. He is not going to live another day. He's already been fastened to his own cross. And he joins the heretical chorus of the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers who are crucifying Jesus, use some of his last minutes and his last breaths to heap insults and hurl insults onto Jesus. Now, I get kind of incensed by all of that. I get a little judgmental, but then I realize how many times in my own life I've been in a bit of the same boat where I've been experiencing pain or a sense of separation, and I've been so, I felt so alone, and I've had moments where I've said, God, where are you? Where are you, God? I need you. I need you now. Will you do something? If you're there, will you do something for me? I need that now, God. And I recognize I can't be too hard on the guy on the cross because I've felt similar things. Maybe I'm not the only one in the room who's felt some of those same feelings. But on the other side of Jesus, the other criminal who was also nailed to his own cross, also had a death sentence, not going to live another day. This is his last day on the planet. Something different is happening in his heart and mind. Something different. He is experiencing a revelation because there's something different happening in his heart. The first guy has insults. He is angry. He is separated. He is full of pride and arrogance. The Bible says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So the other guy, in verse 40, Luke 23, 40, says, the other answered and rebuking the first one said, do you not even fear God? You're under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed are suffering justly for we're receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man now here's his revelation. There's his man. This man has done nothing wrong. See, he understands that right in the middle of his pain, that God's right there with him. And I want you to know this too. I want all of us to know here today that no matter what situation you're in, no matter how much pain, no matter what kind of sentence you have been given, 
that God is right in the middle of your pain with you. Even if you don't see him, even if you don't feel him, even if you can't tell, God is in the pain and right in the middle of it with you. He may be at work behind the scenes doing things you cannot see and don't know about right now, but he is with you. This scene is your story. In the same way, God wrote rescue, restoration, and redemption into this story. He is able to write a new chapter in your story, and it can begin right here, right now, today. Our stories are all different. The way we get into pain, they're all a little bit different. The way we experience problems, in fact, that's one, sometimes when, some, when, when you're telling your story or perhaps you've been talking to someone else who's t- telling you about their story or their pain, sometimes we will say, you just don't understand. <laughs> you can't understand what I'm going through right now. You don't understand what I'm, what, what I'm feeling. That's because we all are a little bit unique. However, the way back, our comeback story has some similarities to it. And this is what I want to share with you in the next few minutes. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Steps to growth and purpose in pain. Number one, it begins with a humble, desperate request. It begins with a humble, desperate request. Notice the difference in the two guys next to Jesus. The guy on one side is hurling insults because he's full of pride and he's full of himself. The guy on the other side is humble. And he's going to ask a humble, desperate question. In Luke 23, 42, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. God moves into our pain when we come to him in humble desperation and surrender. His kingdom comes. His will is done here on earth as it is in heaven. The guy on one side hurling insults at Jesus as if he has a platform. He's a criminal. He's convicted. He is justly sentenced for his crime. But the criminal on the other side has humility. His eyes are wide open. God moves toward his humility and begins to speak into his heart. And the revelation he receives is, Jesus is here with me. And I'm going to ask for help. Jesus, will you remember me? And isn't that all? Isn't that what we all need today? Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we all want? No matter who we are, no matter where you're from, no matter what your situation is, isn't that what we all want, is for Jesus to be with us? Some of us think we've been forgotten, even by God. At least it seems that way. And I know that place, just in case you're wondering. I know that place. I know I'm preaching today, but let me just tell you, I've had those moments, many of them, I could go on for hours telling you about the moments I've had when I've felt desperately alone, full of pain, separation, fear, anxiety, worry. 
I remember a couple years into the life of the church, I started having a real challenge with a couple of leaders that were just, I could not understand why they were doing what they were doing and saying what they were saying. And it went on for weeks and then for months. I'll never forget the day I was sitting on my couch in my living room and there was a coffee table in front of me. And all I wanted to do is crawl under that coffee table and just curl up in a ball and stay there because I felt so alone. I could tell you story after story and moment after moment of times when I felt that way. Kathy could too. Kathy's had times in her life when she's dealt with severe depression, times when she couldn't get out of bed that day. We know what this is like. We know what it's like to experience pain of all kinds. The many sleepless nights I've had when I cried out to God for help, he's often given me a word. Sometimes it's a passage of scripture. One night I began to sing, not because I felt like singing, but because I remembered the scripture from Job. Now, why do you think I was reading Job? Some of you don't understand why I just said that. Job is a guy who had all kinds of problems. I was identifying with his pain. Thank God I didn't have the kinds of the level of problems. That's one good thing about reading Job. You can go, well, at least I don't have it that bad. <laughs> I was reading Job 35.10. God said in, in, this, in this passage, it says, but no one says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? And that passage of scripture came to mind. And I, I said, God, God, would you give me a song? I've done this many times. Would you just give me a song I could sing that's full of truth? And there have been hymns that, you know, I grew up in the church. And I love some of the old hymns. I've sung those to God at night. Not too long ago, a year, year and a half, two years ago, I remember this song coming in the middle of the night. Be still, there is a healer. His love is deeper than the sea. His mercy is unfailing. His arms, a fortress for the weak. I'm singing the truth about who God is. I'm singing my confession and revelation of who he is and what he's doing, even in the darkest hours. Now, you may ask, well, did God just rush in and change everything immediately? No, at 3.15 in the morning, he usually doesn't do that. I wish he would. Sometimes it still takes days or weeks or even months. But what he does do is he reminds me that he's with me. He doesn't always take us out of the problems, but he reminds us, I'm going to go with you through them. I'll carry you. I'll be with you. I'll give you truth. I'll give you strength. I'll give you revelation. This is why we need to know and grow in our worship and connection and maturity. Because problems and pain and pestilence will come, but we need to, in those times, in those moments, 
when we experience problems, we need to have a song of praise preloaded on our hearts and minds that we can sing in the middle of the night at 3.15 when you don't know who else to turn to or where else to go and the problem seems so big that you don't know where else to go. We need doctors and we need one another and we need medicines and all the things that God has provided to us but what we need most is to grow and depend on his power and his presence. That's what we need. So number one is a humble, desperate request and secondly, a divine proclamation. This is what happens in our lives as God begins to work in our lives. We experience God moving toward our humility and our request. And he speaks over us a divine proclamation the same way Jesus did. Now, this guy who is receiving this revelation and rebuking the guy who is rebuking Jesus turns to Jesus and makes a very humble request. He says to him in Luke 23, 43, he, he, asked, he asked the question, Will you help me? We've, we've read that. Did you, will you help me? Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Now, Jesus could have said, hey, buddy, can't you see I'm a little busy right here? He could have said, I'm in my own pain right now. I don't have very many hours to live either. He could have said, hey, you know what? Had you paid attention to what I've been saying over the last three years, you probably wouldn't be on this cross. That's probably what I would say. But Jesus doesn't do that. He, he takes the last few breaths, gasps of air and energy he has left in his body. And he turns to that guy who just asked that humble question. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Another translation says, I tell you the truth. Today I, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is speaking truth to him because all of his lies he's been all of his life he's been experiencing lies. He's believed a lie or he wouldn't be on that cross. What cross are you on today because lies been, that have been spoken into your life? Have lies been spoken over you or about you? What proclamation has defined you? Was it when the judge said, it's final? Here's your divorce decree. And now that word has become what defines you. You need to know that that word does not define you. A judge said it, not Jesus. And Jesus today has a new word for you. In fact, Jesus has the final word to speak over you just like he spoke the final word over this man on the cross who reached out to him with a humble request. You know, the word that defined that guy could have been criminal. 
It could have been guilty. It could have been thief. It could have been shame. It could have been failure. But Jesus spoke the last word. Jesus has the last word over your life. Jesus has the last word over your situation. Jesus wants to speak a new word, start writing a new chapter, and speak the final word over your life because he has all authority and all power and all ability to do what only he can do. Jesus said today, you're going to be with me in paradise. And that's the last word. And that's authoritative and binding. Are you ready? Are you ready? I want everybody to look up. Are you ready to hear what Jesus wants to speak over you today? Because whatever word you're currently living under is not the last or final authoritative binding word for you. Jesus gets the last word of your life. You know, this summer in July, we're going to celebrate my dad's 80th birthday. And we're all going to gather together as a family and we're going to speak some words over him. But because he's experiencing a progressively aggressive form of dementia, he probably won't remember what we're going to say very long. But it doesn't matter what we're going to say. What matters is what Jesus says over him. What Jesus speaks over him is the final authoritative and binding word for him. That's what matters. Dementia will not get the final word. I don't know about what you're dealing with, but unless Unless it's what Jesus is saying about you, it's not the final word for you. Friends, cancer does not get the final word. Singleness in your life is not what defines you because it is not the final word in your life. Brokenness is not what defines you because it's not the final word. Abuse, if you've been carrying that one around, it is not the final word for you. Separation, that is not for you. It is not the final word. I don't know what you've been carrying or what you're walking through or what the enemy has been trying to do to destroy and defeat and to place on you an identity or a word but it's not real the question for all of us is who are you going to listen to pain will have a purpose in our lives when the prince of peace proclaims his truth of grace over you but we have to listen to what Jesus has to say so that the pain doesn't grow a defeat in us. So will you listen to Jesus and believe what he says and follow him to find your purpose in this pain? So it'll grow you to full maturity? I don't know about you, but I can look back to times when I've experienced painful seasons or chapters, and I'll, 
I've always said, I grow more during those times than any other time. I always tell God, God, I learned all I need to learn. I do not want to do that again. But thank you for what you've taught me, the way you've grown me up, and for the way you walked with me through that pain. Jesus has the final word for you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, Jesus has the final word. Do you believe that? It's true. It's true. Now we have to lean into him and listen carefully, and we have to ask that humble request. Just like the guy on the cross. And in that time, God will reveal to us his presence and his power and he'll speak an authoritative and binding word over you because you're his son you're his daughter now what I want to ask you this morning is what have you been believing about you that's not true what do you need to bring to God this morning and give to him so you can receive his truth what pain do you need to bring so you can receive his peace what pain do you need to bring what 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 situation do you need to bring what person do you need to bring so that you can receive his word in your life God invites us to bring our brokenness so he can give us his healing our life so he can give us true life Would you bow your head with me? Father, lead us now in these holy moments. If you're here this morning and you're going through a time and you're needing some healing, you're needing God to speak into that, would you just raise your hand right now wherever you are so I can pray with you? Just all over the room, just raise your hand so I can be praying for you and with you. Thank you. Father, you see these hands and you see each situation. And so we pray this morning that you will move in to those hearts and lives, into those moments. Remind each one, Father, that you are there. Tell them, Lord, tell them I'm right here. I'm here to lead you. I'm here to love you. To give you what you need. Now, Father, we're going to spend some time praying and ministering to one another. So I pray your blessing on this time. And I pray you'll draw every man, every woman, every child into your presence to these altars where we can pray over and minister to one another. In the name of Jesus, amen.